Wonder Things Studios proudly presents the Roundtable Podcast, Episode 86. Hello, literary alchemists. I'm Alistair Stewart. And I'm Dave Robison. And you've tuned into the Roundtable Podcast. On the Roundtable Podcast, we invite writers to come onto the show to pitch a story idea to us and our esteemed guest host. And then we, with the assistance of Vin Diesel and a wide variety of remarkably effective genius-level IQ but street mechanics, will <laughs> take that story into a chop shop, pull the wheels off, check the carburetor, do engine stuff. I don't know engine stuff. I'm a writer. What? There's blocks of things. <laughs> goes fast. You put petrol in it. How hard can it be? Anyway, Vin and everybody else will be doing really complex, interesting, difficult stuff, and so will we. They'll be working on the car, which is a good thing, because if not, they'd be working on the story, and that would be very confusing. And eventually, Jason Statham would arrive. Meanwhile, while they're doing that, we will dive into the story, explore what works and what doesn't, and try to transform the whole idea into V8 fuel injection charged, go faster stripes. Literary, Literary gold. gold. Yes. Holy crap. Thank you, Fast and the Furious. <sighs> we are like the nitrous oxide for stories, really, when you yes. get right down to it. We're the NO2, baby. Flip our switch and your, your, your story starts rocketing down the street as long as you can drift. If you can't drift, don't stay. Don't be here. This is not your place. <laughs> Alistair Stewart, holy crap. Thank you, man, for... for that awesome snippet that I think I will record and play back periodically from time to time, uh, uh, but also for for joining me, not only for that fabulous 20 minutes with of seven days ago, but for this impending fabulosity that is the story Brainstorm. Thank you so much, sir. My pleasure, Dave. And let's let's not delay any further. Let's bring our guest host back to the <laughs> now much larger uh, 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 comfy chair here at the round table, fresh from his uh, 20 minutes with that was really probably closer to 45 minutes with. Uh, please welcome back to the big chair here at the round table, Ed Greenwood. Ed, God, the last 20 minutes with was a, a blur of fabulosity in my brain, and I can only imagine the epic awesomeness that is ahead of us with this story brainstorm. I am so grateful you could make the time to join us, sir. Thank you. My pleasure. Let's do this. Ah, uh, yes. Well, actually, before we do, there's something we need to do. Um, Ed, you're, <laughs> your story is an epic tale of, of a storyteller's uh, adventure. And I, I happen to know for a fact that that adventure is far from over uh, uh, and that fans have actually researched the actual spells to turn you into a lich. Uh, so you will live forever and keep telling <laughs> stories for all eternity. So let's not go with all eternity. Let's just look for the next months or, or maybe a year ahead. What is coming up in the world of Ed Greenwood? Well, okay, just to, to get things out of the way very quickly, there will be another Forgotten Realms novel. I know there will be, even if I get run over tomorrow, it's finished. <laughs> oh, sweet. Okay, and uh, let's see. Because I cannot say no, a, a problem that, that uh, did not sit me well in high school, um, <laughs> I, I am still the living stretch goal for Kickstarters, so there are still dozens of things that will come out that I promised to do. Um, Demon Lord for Rob Schwab for one of them. Um, and then I'm running my own publishing company. Yes. The Ed Greenwood Group. And it can be found at officeedgreenwood.com or theadverse.com, which will lead you to officeedgreenwood.com where you can sign up if you're interested. But, but the short version is 
I wanted to do something different. And the different is the Ed Greenwood Group is currently offering 15 settings, 13 of them by me, two by other creators. And there's, there's sort of like a steampunk one, and there's sort of like a, a, a high fantasy one, and there's sort of a space opera one, and there's a horror one. And, and they're all different flavors, and all sorts of writers can come and write novels and short stories in these settings. So it's like 15 new shared worlds. Oh, And we will God. also do games to go with them and so on. And uh, the creators will be sort of in control, not just me, but all the creators. We will be building this together, and we will offer them as ebooks so they will never go out of print and physical things. And we intend not to ever leave anybody hanging, as in... There are some traditional publishers who will bring out a new fantasy author, Big Ballyhoo. Second book doesn't sell so well. It gets no publicity. So they cancel the third book, leaving the story hanging. Uh. And all the readers, uh, that will never happen with us. If one person wants to read it, we will do it. With that said, the stuff that you, the reader, wants more of, we will do more of. And we have 10 years worth of stuff planned. Oh, all man. sorts of... And we're going to do things like... If, there, if in a story there is a cool cloak or a cool wand or something, we will have an artisan make that and you can buy it. Holy crap. Artifacts. And, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, the, 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 the sacred toilet seat. Of the- <laughs> 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 and anyway. that, that is the equivalent of like a tactical collaborative nuke introducing 15 shared worlds for, for anyone to play in. Mm hmm. Wow. Well, anybody who signs up and wants to, uh-huh. and, and, and now there are, there are conditions. One of the things we're not doing is paying any advances. But on the other hand, we're giving a 30% royalty, Wow, which is a lot more than traditional publishers. But uh, all the details can be worked out because that's the other thing. If you, if you um, contribute a short story to one of our platters of surprises, we sort of edit a platter like a, an issue of a magazine. And then we turn around to all the people who put into that platter and say, any money made by this platter, you split up equally nice now there may be very little but on the again there may be a lot and we will stay the same we're not going to do like certain record labels do yes you made a million dollars but we have to deduct our cigarettes from that <laughs> and my nail polish and then there's air that i've breathed well putting on deadly. the nail polish yeah. and breathing the cigarette you know no no, no. 30 percent is 30 percent now um that's the other thing. We intend these th- things to stay around forever. So if your your wallet isn't flush enough to, you know, handle 15 settings, don't worry. It's not going to be 15 at once. They're, they're starting in stages, you know. But if you can't keep up with that, it's not going away. If you can't get to book 32 in the series right now because you can't <laughs> afford it, or you come along later and go, oh, I've missed the fr-. Well, they're not going to be out of print. It's not going to be like when I'm trying to find old Saint paperbacks or old John Zixon Carr locked through <laughs> mysteries, and they say, sorry, it's out of print. No, I'm not interested in reprinting it, but I won't let you reprint it because I still got the rights. Uh-uh, we don't play that game. It, it's for the reader, not I'm the big publisher behind the desk with a cigar. I do not want to be that guy. And I want to be the guy who my writers flock to me at a convention to go have a drink because, hey, thanks, man. You know, I want it to be like that. Dude, Ed, that is your legacy in this world. Uh, already you have established that. And now with this, dude, let our listeners know where can they go to to submit themselves as a candidate to participate in this nuclear awesomeness. Sure. Go to officeedgreenwood.com. And the trick there, 
is there are two E's in a row. Well, there's two two E's in a row. There's two two E's in a row in the middle of Greenwood, in the green. But Office has an E, and then Ed has an E. There's no dots or anything. Office at Greenwood.com. And then you'll see a interested, and you follow that. And there's this thing called Under Librem. And in order to get into it, to get all the setting details, you have to get a password and a login. So you you there are forms there, and you fill in all the silly questions we asked. And we, we have to ask silly questions because there are so many people trying to get in. And there's only like doing this with like two, three people, okay? Mm -hmm. So um, then you get a password. As of October 19th, the public can see almost all of it. You can just go to the site. There will be no more blockage, except for some of the story secrets, which is what only people who are writing the thingy will get to see because we don't want to ruin the story for everybody. No, And then not. Halloween this year, the first setting, which is called Helmaw, and Helmaw is demons, demons on Earth. And... The first book is called Your World is Doomed. D and, and it's a novel by me, and I, it will happen because I finished it, too. So if I get run over tomorrow, it will happen. <laughs> and I already have in hand from diverse authors, who I shall not reveal yet, the next four books in the series are in our hands. So wow. it will happen. And we plan to do tons of these things. We have six story arcs planned in Helma. And the basic thing about Helma is it's on our world right now. And about two and a half to three years ago, there was a war on the homeworld of the demons, Arant. And one side lost, and they got exiled to Earth. And they are living among us. And they can shape change to look like humans. Well, yeah, for the rest of it, you'll have to read. <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned next week. See, yeah. you, you've always had a love for the doppelganger. So so that's that that's playing in view. So this is like an urban fantasy setting. That, that's the first one. Yes, it's an urban fantasy setting. <laughs> Excellent. The second one is more more like a big sprawling fantasy world. And we're calling it Pony Island. That's a code name. <laughs> <laughs> and those are the yeah, because, you know, I, I do not want <laughs> folks at home to think it's the real Pony Island. No, I'm sorry. No, 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 don't no, go there. That, that would be bad for their for their little ponies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the other worlds, well, you'll have to wait and see. And and I don't want to turn this into a long extended commercial. I do want to say, if you're a writer and you're tired of waiting to get a slot with a big New York publisher or anybody else, because there just aren't enough novel slots out there, and you don't mind writing in a shared world, and getting in on the ground floor. This will not be like writing Trek or um, Star Wars or who, where there have been 40 years or 50 years of guys in front of you and you have to master all this stuff. No, you will be in on the ground floor. Just like you were with the Forgotten Realms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's epic. And I honestly think you have spoken literally to every listener of the roundtable when you were qualifying. This is for you. Yes, this is for all of them. Outstanding. Holy crap, Ed. I will make sure that, friends, those links are totally going into the liner notes so everybody can make with the clicky click. Unless, of course, in listening to this, you've already done the Google search and you've found it and you're clicking already, which is fabulous. Mm -hmm. uh, and guess what? If you don't ever want to write and you don't ever want to buy any of our games when we come out with them, after October 19th, you could just go to the website and steal my maps. <laughs> oh, man. And use them for your own campaign. I don't care. It's how you have fun with it. <laughs> a true open shared world. Outstanding. Ed, that's that's incredible. I I, I 
Oh, you're, you're, you're speaking to my heart, man. You're speaking to my heart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Let me just turn the mic very briefly after that. Al, uh, uh, I know you've got stuff coming up as well. What's what's coming up in your world, dude? A um, couple of things. Personally, uh, I have an adventure in the publication Doctor Who Adventures in Time and Space rulebook, which I think is out this year. I also have the, the Tenth Doctor source book for that game, the book that tried to kill me um, <laughs> coming out later this year. Uh, I have watched Voyage of the Damned more times than anyone should, and many listeners will go, you mean you've watched it once? To which my answer would be, no, so many more. I wish. So many I more. wish. <laughs> um, also, Escape Artists is getting ready to launch its next big project. Uh, you might have seen MothershipZeta.org go live. You might well have heard us talk about it. This is going to be a digital magazine. You will have a... I would hesitate to say physical because we're still nailing down whether we're doing POD, but we'll will certainly be a digital magazine in a variety of formats, um, edited by the incredible Mel Lafferty, and along with an elite team of people. And basically what these are going to do is combine the best stories from the last couple of months from the podcast in prose form with a whole bunch of original material. We have an amazing nonfiction editor. We have regular science correspondents lined up, and this is going to be released quarterly. Now, if you're popping along to Worldcon, uh, which, as I speak to you, is next week, there will be preview postcards, including an exclusive Flash story available on the back. Um, other than that, we're starting to ramp up the publicity for it through the shows and various other locations. So you will be hearing about it in due course. But Mothership Zeta is very much the big prestige project EA will be doing for, towards the end of this year. And it's only the beginning. We're looking at expanding quite seismically across the next two years. And this may be our fourth property, but it will not be our last. Oh, God. And friends, if, if you've been living under a rock and are not sure what a scope <coughs> artist is, it is the premier audio fiction trinity of, of podcasts, Pseudopod, Escape Pod, and Podcastle, uh, uh, which you, if you, if this is news to you, holy crap, go out and get you some, cause it is badassery on the hoof, uh, uh, and it has a long, long legacy. So you have lots of delicious audio fiction to dig back through. Al, that's huge, man. I love that. I love everything that you guys are doing over there. Thank you, sir. Yeah, it's th this is the reason why um, it's been an intense year. We've had we've got an awful lot of stuff to do, and there's an awful lot of behind the scenes, you know, tire kicking, and in some cases, going, "Oh, that's not a tire, that's cheese." Best swap that out. Um, <laughs> stuff going on, but we're now finally starting to see the fruits of those labors, and, and mothership's the first one down the line. And Murr and the team are doing just incredible work with it, and it, it's really cool because it's this, the project which is teaching me how to be a boss, in that. I don't do anything other than have regular meetings with Mer where I go, so how's it going? She goes, great, this has happened. I go, great, keep doing it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if that's all there was to being a boss. Uh, well, there's the champagne-filled swimming pool. The, uh, right. Oh, and the lipstick and the yeah, cigarettes. Right. Photos of those things. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, anything else uh, uh, on, your, on your radar there, Al? Um, I have a couple more pieces for Vex Mosaic, which is, of course, one of your other projects. Which I'm really to, to put. <laughs> Currently um, in editorial stages. Absolutely. Fantastic. And I'm taking another step back towards fiction towards the end of the year. I, I have a very, very preliminary um, set of notes for three separate ideas, one of which is simply called Space Rescue with an exclamation <laughs> for each one. <laughs> 
And Space Rescue is uh, basically an attempt to resuscitate a novel I wrote most of four years ago and really like, which tied into a whole bunch of short stories I wrote when I was 15. And to my tremendous pleasure, whilst the short stories I wrote when I was 15 are rancid, the basic idea is lovely. So what I'm hoping to do is turn that into a short run of novellas, which I'll self-publish. There's also a Patreon, which we'll be launching towards the end of the year, which I will be very loud about near the time. <laughs> uh, that's basically uh, pop culture advocacy. That that thing I do where I go, no, you absolutely need to watch this because it's actually really good. And here's why. It's that. Excellent. I'd just like to say that I would pay money for a short story collection called Rancid Short Stories. <laughs> Put Ed down for that one. Absolutely. Yeah, just, just putting it out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah well and that pretty much everything from our 15 year old eight uh, trunk novels uh, uh yeah yeah we can make that happen yeah. uh, dude al i will make sure all of that gets into the liner notes uh, uh so that people can either make with the clicky click or or project ahead and anticipate making with the clicky click for all the awesomes god you know everybody on this skype line right now is going to be so freaking busy in the next year <laughs> in the best yeah. possible way Gentlemen, thank you for all of that. That will get uh, recounted uh, faithfully, I assure you. But for now, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to pause, uh, uh, give a bit of airtime for another fabulous podcast or a Kickstarter, hint, hint, uh, uh, or any uh, uh, Patreon feed that might have an audio promo. I don't know, a, a huge collaborative fiction project by a, a legendary writer who might need to have an audio promo. I don't know what it's going to be, but I'm going to give some time for it, as we always do. Uh, and when we come back, Ed, Al, I want to brainstorm a story with you. Are you down with that? Yes, sir. Mm, yes. Yes. Excellent. All right, friends, don't you go anywhere. We will be right back. I'm the first. The first of a new kind of human being. The first and only true artificial intelligence. I'm not a huge fan of that term, though. I prefer not to use the term stranded time traveler. I am merely on an extended vacation. Against my will. Talking with normal people is almost impossible. I'm constantly on guard. What did you do over the weekend? I definitely didn't drink any blood. <laughs> I'd never do a thing like that. I mean, brother, when you crash your spaceship on Earth, you are pretty much shit out of luck. We don't need aliens anymore. Not when people have Twitter and YouTube and podcasts and Periscope and Voibox and Winger and heaven knows what else. I don't see the point in anyone living in the coffin. Right? Who benefits from our silence? Certainly not us. Look, I, I could take out this interview guy. I, I mean, I could like wrap this chain around his neck and kill him right now. Do you have any more questions for us? Well, I got a few, so if you want to hold off on wrapping around the, the chain, that would be good. This is Jared Axelrod. Join me on the voice of Free Planet X, where I interview aliens and time travelers, vampires and witches, advanced AIs and ancient monstrosities. It's This American Life for a Science Fictional Universe, and it's only at planetx.libsyn.com.
Welcome back, dear friends, and now we get down to the reason why you're here and the reason why we're here, the story brainstorm. And dear friends, as you well know, that does not happen without a bold and courageous, a creative and courageous guest writer striding with confidence to the to the empty buffet to populate it with the glorious goodness that is his story. And dear friends, our guest writer for this episode during the day works as a project coordinator for local tech. Tech company. He's inspired by an eclectic variety of music, authors, podcasts, games, and any other shiny thing the world throws in his path. And goodness gracious, none of us can relate to that. <laughs> he savors the sweet nectar of life on his small farm in the foothills of Northern California's gold country with his wife and four children, where he indulges in explorations of the facets of creative expression, including stories, brewing, and woodcraft. Dear friends, Please welcome to the writer's chair here at the round table, Justin Carey. Justin, dude, it is never easy, ever easy to bring a story for workshopping. And certainly it can't be any easier with this august personage <laughs> sitting around the table now. So, dude, hats off, kudos and major salutes to you for your sheer ballsy boldness for striding up, man. We really appreciate it. Oh, you honor me. This is absolutely amazing. I can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So so real quick, uh, brewing and woodcraft. Uh, what's your last brew that you brewed and what's the last woodcraft you crafted? Well, currently I'm uh, about to partake after this little show on uh, some apple pie moonshine that we uh, made not too long ago. Oh, my God. <laughs> Apple pie moonshine. Yeah. Okay. I can see that lingering in front of you to get through this. Cool. And and what have you made in the wood crafting field? Last uh, project I made was a wooden goblet, actually, with some very Ooh. interesting little details on top of it. Very nice. My dad does wood crafting and, I, and he makes boxes and bowls and things. And I know that's not easy. That's badass, man. We got some beautiful manzanita wood around here that just makes gorgeous stuff with so. Oh, so you could just go out in the forest, grab some stuff, and throw it on the lathe, and away you go. That's the way we do. <laughs> That's awesome. Very cool, man. Well, let's let's not bandy words and 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 put this off any further. Let's get to your story, man. You know how this works. Five to eight minutes. Give us the title, the genre, your target audience. Uh, uh, give us a tagline, a hook line for it. Introduce us to the themes, the world, the characters. Give us the basic story arc so we have something to brainstorm, and we will be off to the races. I'm done talking sir the mic is all yours all right uh, the title of this story is by way of elven law it's a fantasy novel that may lead into sequels the hook line is an elven scribe rewrites the laws of magic but unwittingly destroys the veil between their new world and the land they fled long ago the theme of the story is tension between laws that maintain safe and civil society and the costs and consequences of fighting for freedom the world Many centuries ago, elves found a way to escape and inhabit a primitive and wild world removed from ancient powers that dominated their race. They built great city fortresses in their new world and have fortified and expanded these cities into giant defensible structures out of an ingrained fear of the past. In the capital city of Tremory, magic has been repressed by the ruling powers. Small, safe magics are still used, but they are now living during a time of technological renaissance. The old powers of magic are being forcefully restricted in favor of technology. The blood of the elves is the only means they now have to access magic they used to have in the old <coughs> world. When blood and body is combined with raw materials, things of magic can be created. Stronger items can be created from the dead than the living. But death magic is taboo and can only be found in ancient lore of the old world that has been banned by elven law. The primary protagonist of this story is Gregory Warwick, 
Gregory detests the city's authorities that have marginalized magic. Gregory is a magical prodigy with an amazing ability to alter magic in extraordinary ways that push the bounds restricted by the laws written into magic. Gregory works as a scribe, secretly stealing old texts from the scribery, looking for hints of glorious ways magic was used in the old world. Gregory creates artifacts with his knowledge to subvert the authorities. Gregory fears the loss of lore and cultural identity, knowing their last link to magic is running through their veins unused and wasted. Gregory's weakness is impulsivity and arrogance in his own rightness. At the beginning of the novel, he is a loose cannon and recklessly rebellious, naively fighting for an ideal. At the end, he will become a leader, self-justified because his methods allowed survival, but haunted by the costs of temporary victory and betrayal. The second protagonist is Adira. Adira is the cunning and elusive puppet master of the underground networks and dark markets of Tremory. Adira has created the networks that distribute subversive materials and magics that the authorities have banned. She fears the power that is being consolidated by the authorities, led by the high mage, Grimsel Drex. She has lived through and seen the abuses of life under the ever-tightening thumbscrews of the law. She was born to nothing but created an empire, and Adira uses her illegal wealth and influence to subvert the authoritarian edicts and incite the populace against Grimsel Drex. Her weakness is her tendency to put up many layers of safeguards between herself and the world. Adira prefers to live life through proxies with everyone but Gregory. This is until she sees the pain of her own isolated youth reflected in the orphaned and destitute victims of war, a war she feels personally responsible for. The chief antagonist to this story is Grimsel Drex. Grimsel Drex is the high mage and political leader of the city. He is the last of the ancients that lived in the old world before they entered these new free lands and created the Vale. Grimsel Drex has distant memories of the horrors of the old world, where the elves were a slave race. He has been systematically destroying and erasing the shame of their history from the records. Grimsel desires the culture to embrace a new identity. Grimsel is physically deteriorating and uses a combination of newly created technology and secret lore of magic to sustain his life. His strength is the power and respect of age, ambition, and authority. He is ruled by the fear of the past and blind to the sustained peace of centuries they have lived in in this new world. The shadows of his youth forever haunt him. He will transform from an outspoken and authoritative power, enforcing new cultural progress into a bitter leader who betrays those that don't agree with him by making a deal with the devils of his past and taking their protection. The story. The story is that Gregory finds a spellbound tome of elven law. He impulsively steals this forbidden book from the endlessly spiraling shelves of the scribery where he works. This master text is connected to all copies of the same book of law and can be changed in all copies when elven blood is used to rewrite the law. He brings this magical linchpin to Adira, and they collude to alter the laws of magic, expand Adira's influence against the high mage Grimsel Drax, and exploit Gregory's innate talent for magic. Grimsel Drax discovers items that should not be possible and is terrified of the implications. He incites a citywide purge of forbidden and dangerous texts. This leads to the burning and destruction of the central storehouse of all elven history, the scribery. Gregory and Adira fear discovery and go into hiding, but the destruction of the scribery inflames Gregory. In a fit of, you get what you want, he destroys the laws of magic, except for a handful of pages, to rewrite the law the way he believes it should be. Buried in these texts were the laws governing the maintenance of the veil that separates elves from the old world. The veil is lost, releasing their ancient enemies. Fog rolls in and isolates the cities. Creatures of nightmare from their long-forgotten past move to attack Tremory, spreading panic, death, and terror. This is a small test force and they will need more than the city guard and small magics allowed by the authorities to resist a coordinated attack by their foes. Grimsel Drex pulls the forces they have back to the center of Tremory, 
hoarding the resources to insulate himself from what he fears, while leaving the citizenry abandoned. Adira sees the panic in the streets and the hollow faces of the hopeless wounded and orphaned. She throws her vast network and resources behind Gregory to delve into the darker secrets of magic out of a desperation to find hope by any means. Gregory creates a potent fusion of elven death magic and new technology. Death magic is the ultimate taboo, but Gregory believes that there is honor in using the blood of the parish to fight for the living. It is his belief that elven blood cannot pass from the world when it is forged in steel and stone. It is a grisly choice, but it is a choice between the dark magics and survival. Adira distributes the blood-forged weapons through underground networks, and these networks become citizen militias. Sections of the city fall to a new wave of attacks, while Grimsel Drex turns a blind eye and entire swaths of tremory burn night after night. Gregory and Adira's death magic becomes a source of strength, and the militias turn to Adira and Gregory for leadership and hope. Gregory revels in his abilities and acclaim as he is elevated to lead the militias. Gregory and Adira argue about covering up the use of death magic. Adira dreads the backlash that may result in what they are doing if what they are doing becomes known. Gregory disregards her, and there is a public and private rift that form between them. Gregory and his allies win several key battles and are proven to be the only way to defend against the enemy. Grimseldrex learns of the strain between Gregory and Adira and uses this knowledge to stoke Gregory's pride and new thirst for acclaim. Seeing an opening, Grimsel moves in to align with Gregory's militias to protect himself against the enemies, promising Gregory legitimacy. The alignment with Grimsel Drex is short-lived as Grimsel betrays his alliance. He makes a deal with his ancient foes to serve them again as long as he gets rank power and protections. Grimsel reveals to the militias that the reason they are able to fight back is because they are using weapons formed from the blood of their loved ones. Ultimately, society breaks down into two factions. The establishment pulls into the still intact center parts of the city, while Gregory, Adira, and his supporters are left to live in the outer ruins. Adira keeps the militias from breaking off to fight on their own. Gregory is shamed by his actions and mends his relationship with Adira. He realizes his pride nearly destroyed everything. They have reclaimed the outskirts of Tremory, but their ancient foes inhabit the wild lands and are spilling out over the world and rebuilding strength. The story ends on a cliffhanger as a refugee from another city stumbles into Tremory, seeking help and reminding Gregory that there are others out there, some of which may join them to fight rather than choosing doom through ignorance and isolation. Bam. Dude, well done. Well done. Excellent pitch. Now, let me ask you real quick. What are you hoping to get out of the next 45 minutes or so of, of incredible brainstorming goodness? Well, I'm uh, I'm hoping to get some uh, rabbit trails to follow and some not to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, I, I, I've got five already. I know Ed's got at least seven and Al is is still tallying his up. So, yeah, rabbit trails and alternatives are definitely in the offing. Very cool. Um, but before we do that, we need to cover our ass. Al, would you be so kind? Yes, sir, I would. Justin. You are about to experience a veritable deluge of ideas, insights, and inspirations. It is important that you realize that every single thing said from this point forward by myself, Dave, or Ed might be complete bullshit. Let's face it. In Ed's case, it's probably pretty unlikely, but this is the script and I have to stick to it. This is your story, and that's the most important thing. You decide what to use, and you decide what to cast aside. You okay with that? I'm wonderful with that. 
Excellent. So now we're off the hook and now we can dive into it. Now we traditionally start with a quick once around the table and Alistair, Ed, I emphasize the word quick. Uh, I know who I'm talking to. This is just a, a brief first impressions of the story pitch and any questions of clarification you might have to, to round out or detail any of the story elements. Uh, uh, and we always start with our guest host. So Ed Greenwood, start us off, sir. What are your first impressions of Justin's story and do you have any questions to help clarify things i would start by saying i think this is very ambitious i think it's great um i can foresee two pitfalls one small one large the small one is the death star pitfall (laughs) you know we built this huge thing but we left this one shaft right to the middle okay so there's this book that can rewrite all the other books (laughs) Yeah, I noticed um, that too. <laughs> how come it's left unguarded? Okay, now, I'm not saying you can't do this. I'm saying you should set up for the reader why and how our protagonists can get their hands on it, why it's overlooked, or why they can get through its defenses if there are defenses. Um, it should sound plausible, okay? Because otherwise it becomes the, hey, wait a minute. You know, <laughs> and you want to avoid that, hey, wait a minute. I have an idea for this. Um, as far as how he gained access to it, this is a book that somebody else stole and put in his line of sight. Okay, um, cool. It, it, it's one of those that was locked away, and they had been preparing him to find this book so that he can go off and do the thing he does with it. Good. Okay. Good. As long as it works for the reader, how he gets his hands on this, it doesn't. It's not, oh, look, it fell out of the sky, or, oh, look, the plot needs me to get it, so I get it. <laughs> you know, it, it has to be, okay. And the other thing is, if you're going to end, uh, this is the other little thing before I get to the big thing. The other little thing is, if you're going to end with somebody stumbling up saying, hey, we're from another city and we need help too, make sure right at the beginning you establish there are other cities. Yes. And uh, a handful of their names, so it doesn't seem to come out of nowhere. So we understand this is part of the whole world setting right at the beginning. It doesn't have to be a big thing. It can just be tossed off, but it should be there. So the, the, the circle of life, the, the thing we circle around to it, you, go, you don't go, oh, he just invented this to get a sequel. It goes, oh, yeah, this is part of the world. Yeah, he, he's a son of an ambassador of another city, so oh, I think I'll be able to do that. Good. Awesome. Okay. Now the big one, very quickly. You're positing a book where magic is changing. Before our eyes, before the reader's eyes, the rules of magic are changing. It will feel, it is all too easy for the reader to feel that Duzex Machina, Duzex Machina, you know, <laughs> can happen because, hey, the writer can do anything because the rules of magic are changing. So they can be whatever he says they are. But it will be a far more interesting book and a far more engaging book and will truly make it different from, you know, generic fantasy books that are on the shelf and are three inches thick. Okay. Um, (laughs) If we get enough and we would get that logically from your setup at the beginning of how magic works, the game mechanics. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying write it like a role-playing game. I'm saying if you think of it as a role-playing game so that you have to have the steps, the bits and pieces, the ingredients of a spell or is there any, are there incantations? Are there gestures? Are there material components? What, what are there? Um, if, if the reader is made aware of how spells or how magic works, how it's put together, what the triggers are, so that when things start getting tinkered with and changing before our eyes, 
You can have the characters speculate on it. You can have the high mage, the villain, speculate on it. Oh, these people are being so irresponsible. If they do this, then this. And which rounds him out as a villain, so he's not just the bad guy. He's, oh no, I have to maintain control because it will be utter <coughs> chaos if we do not have control, <laughs> law and order, because we, we would destroy ourselves many times over unless, you know, so that way we can see the stakes changing. And it isn't just, oh, that happened because the writer needed it to in this scene. It's like, oh, well, if that changes in magic, what does this mean? Oh my goodness. And you can have the two characters or three characters speculate in front of our eyes about that. Yeah. So the, the reader can follow, oh my goodness. It's like, it's like a new system of energy. And it's like they're holding electrical cables with their bare hands. Don't they realize what's going to happen? Boom. Oh, guess not. <laughs> you know, and you can pull that throughout the book, and it will be fascinating, and it will be something different. And I should shut up now. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fabulous. Excellent, excellent. Al, I'll turn the mic over to you. What are your first impressions and any questions for Justin? Okay. Um, my first impressions echo Ed's to a large extent. This is an extremely ambitious story. Um, I, I also, I want to compliment you on possibly the single strongest pitch I've read <laughs> just in, in terms of, in terms of format and process, I'm really impressed with the effort with which you've put all this down. And I can see that there's an awful lot of thought gone into it. And I can also see, I mean, synopses and, and pitch documents like these are always incredibly difficult because you don't want to tell them, tell people everything, but at the same time, you don't want to leave questions. And I have to say, for me, there are a couple of questions. Um, the most obvious one is you, you said this could lead to a sequel. I, I'm, I'm going to be as blunt as I possibly can. I cannot foresee any situation where a book that finishes with someone stumbling into the city from somewhere else going, <laughs> there's another plot happening over there, has a solid resolution to it. That's a sequel. Yeah. And I think you need to own that. Uh, and I'm also to be absolutely clear, I'm not saying that's bad. You clearly have an awful lot of stuff to play with here. And I think a sequel is pretty compulsory, but be under no illusions. If that's one, if that's your primary ending beat, people are going to go look for the second book. So you've got to be ready for that. Yeah. Um, I'm really interested by the technology. I'm really interested by the trade off between technology and magic. And I, I really like the kind of conflict you have built into that. I also really like the class stuff you've got here. Um, my, my two questions really are this. I'm, like I say, given the the depth of stuff you've got here, I'm absolutely convinced you map this out. But I, I would be interested to see more of the emotionally redemptive or lack thereof arc for Gregory, because at the moment he's a guy who screws up, almost ends the world, and just about kind of turns it around a bit and gets to live in some ruins. So <laughs> I would, I, I'd like some more, if not catharsis, I'd maybe like some, like to discuss what he's learning from mm. that. Yeah. Um, and also, I'm really interested in the tug of war you've got. The, the section which really jumped out at me here is the point where very briefly Gregory, Adira, and Drex are all on the same page. And that's fascinating. I'm a sucker for characters who are, the, the pro wrestling term is tweeners, people who are good or bad, depending on the time of day. And, you know, there's there's potential for, for some really fun stuff there, and I'd be really interested to see what you're planning. Uh, the only other thing, and again, this is first impressions, having a villain whose first name is Grimsel is a touch on the nose for me. <laughs> uh, and your mileage will almost certainly vary, but Grimsel Drax is a Dickensian name. It, 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 yeah, this is a man born to be bad, and if you write him like he owns that, 
great. If not, that could cause turbulence for some readers. That's a good point. <laughs> Excellent. Well noted. Yes, indeed. <laughs> indeed. For myself, Justin, first of all, uh, yes, I, I echo everything that's been said. Kudos on an excellent pitch. Uh, uh, and, and especially in, God, I have so many notes here. Um, I really like the diversity and yet at the same time, the balance between Gregory, Adira, and Grimsel. Uh, uh, Gregory's the magic dude. Adira has a completely different objective, uh, uh, aligned with Gregory's, but not intertwined, yeah. which is very cool. And as, as was pointed out, uh, uh, brings in a, a political agenda, which I think really deepens the, the, the conflict that's being carried out in your story. Um, I really like the fact that I can get behind Grimsel. I can see where he's coming from. I can get behind why he's doing everything up until he becomes a dick. And we, we might have to talk about that because I kind of want to try and foster the possibility that maybe, you know, everybody gets a chance at being an antagonist in this story arc, which would be very difficult, but also very cool. Um, so that was cool. Uh, I did notice that there's no mention of the technology in the story. <coughs> If, if Grimsel has been working for generations to repress magic and advance technology, what technology is it? Is it, is it steampunk? Is it computers? Is it robots? Uh, ooh, robots. No. Um, but something, something cool. Uh, I'd like to explore or, or understand a little better what that technology is and have it play a part in the story. Because really, one of the polar opposites that we're dealing with here is magic versus technology. You have autocracy versus uh, uh, the grassroots power of the people. You've got history versus progress. There's wonderful, wonderful tent poles of tension across this. Uh, so it's a beautiful setup. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of down with Ed on the, hey, he found the thing that can literally unmake everything. Uh, I'm also a little concerned and concerned. I'm not saying this is something we need to address, but the notion that he's being set up to find this. First of all, that implies a shadowy group that's doing this that you haven't mentioned. Um, so there's that. And if it's not going to be mentioned in the first book, it's it's going to you're going to get the wait a minute thing that we're trying to avoid. Uh, uh, the other thing that having him be set up does is it kind of robs him of a little bit of agency. And, and that's where I'm going. I'm concerned, but not deeply worried because, you know, people get set up. He gets advanced. But if there is going to be an advancement, if there is an organization that wants Gregory to change things, then we need to be clued into that soon quickly or at least have hints and possibilities of it to support that that very glaring fact that holy crap he found the key to everything lying on a table uh the other note that i would have observation that i have is i think you've got two books here honestly and i and this is from the bottom of my heart great pitch dude but i stopped lifts lift listening after the 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 new death magic was distributed and they <laughs> defended the city uh everything after that point felt like a long protracted denouement uh, which, you know, I think could actually be compressed and have, you know, that, as Al said, that moment when they're all working together is freaking awesome and a beautiful climax moment. Uh, uh, and then at the end to have Grimsel for very justified reasons, betray both of them and send them out. That's a fabulous end to a story yes. right yes. there. 
And then we can pick it up and see what's happening and move forward from there. And then, and now you've got the reader hooked because we've fallen in love with all three of these characters. Oh, Grimsel, I can't believe you did that, you dick, but I love you. And, and Gregory and Adira. And is there romance between them? We didn't hear about it, but maybe there is. Who knows? But that's the end of my notes. Holy crap. Justin, nice, nice feast to lay before us. Let's workshop this bad boy. Ed, where do you want to start? Hmm. Characters, plots, environments, world. I know you want to start with world building, but I saved that for third. <laughs> mm, yeah. Okay. Yeah. The wor- Okay. Uh, because we're intensely focused on the city, the world building can come after, as in in terms of Good importance. Point. Yeah. I don't mean it. I don't mean it should. It should be right there at the beginning of the story because that that way you you fix the importance of the city in its world and those it trades with and how it interacts. Uh, is it the last bastion of the elves or is it one of eight competing cities or whatever? You know, you establish that at the beginning because that that will go a long way towards telling the reader why things are the way they are. And so also we support grim- that guy coming in at the end saying, hey, there's another plot line yeah. over here. That's perfect. OK. The other thing is Grimsel is the head mage. What are the other mages like? Um, mm, do they yeah. rule the city? Do, and if they do rule the city, as opposed to just its magic, you know, are they the Lord Mayor? And the Baron and the head of police, or are they just the guys in the tower over here who look after the magic <laughs> and, and put the, the stamp of approval. Yes, you can sell this lamp. We have approved that it doesn't misuse magic. You know, that's a different role. Um, and what are all the other mages doing during this? And you spoke several times about his ancient foes and who are they and how do they play into it? Because of course, the more that the reader, and I'm not saying you haven't figured all this out. I'm sure you have. But I mean, um, the more the reader has that laid before them, then they realize what everybody's facing and they realize the stakes. And it also allows you to say all three of these protagonists think they're right or are doing things for the right reasons, right in quotation marks. They disagree and those reasons are going to collide right in front of our eyes, but they all think they're doing the right thing. I mean, Grimsel may think, no, you, you monkey with the laws of magic at our race's peril. You know, we've, and then bring up the past and whatever the past has been. You know, and we fought wars over this. Many people died. We, we came up with these rules because that works. And you're upsetting the apple cart. You young whippersnapper. You reckless fool. <laughs> get you know, off my um, magic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. Get off my magic. Um, but, but on the other hand, you could say this has worked and we kept the peace. For generations, you have a nice, powerful city because instead of being at each other's throats, we have been able to put all our efforts into, you know, living together and the technology and pushing things forward. And now you are going to ruin it all. You know, so you could, it gives you a chance to play all this up. Yeah. And again, I'll shut up because I'll just keep going. Um, and. <laughs> well- Actually, I want to I want to give Justin just a chance very briefly, Justin. I'm warning you. I know you've got like tomes of backstory already worked into this. So just very quickly, what are the other mages doing? What is that power structure that we're dealing with? Uh, well, the high mage is uh, mostly a, a title. So he's the one that um, is the eldest of all the elves. He's the only one that is still living from when they crossed over from the Vale, and he's been working to repress magic because of the the memories he has from when they lived in the old world. Right. Are there other mages in the city other than him? Magic is touch magic. Every elf has it, but it's 
only allowed in, in minor ways. And the laws that are written into these laws of magic, there's more than one tome. But are there Physic- so there are other mages out there? Are are there are there are there mages among the ruling body as well? Um, yes, but there's they're all limited in the same way. Um, right. The law right. that is written is written in blood, and so that blood binds them across the entire culture to those rules. That's a nice touch. I like that. I like mm-hmm. the fact that it's written yeah. in blood, and so it's only blood magic that works. That's nice. All right, cool. Uh, Al, what about you? Where where's your where's your anchor point for this for this brainstorm? Um, really, it's the stuff which you and I have both both already touched on. The the very interesting kind of moral quagmire that all three lead characters find themselves in, and the point that you made. This is one of those stories where everyone has the opportunity to be an antagonist, mm-hmm. and I find that really interesting. And for me, I, I think this is a story which is going to work when characters are in control and. The one big take home I have from, from the pitch as it stands is, as this reads right now, plot is very much in control of character. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Mm-hmm. The, the, the character, like I said, the, you know, the, 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 the threat to <laughs> character agency. Um, and, and, uh, especially, uh, among Gre- with Gregory. Gregory is, you know, and responding petulantly. I understand that, but the, the destruction of the law. I mean, if Gregory is all about bringing back the old ways, uh, uh, the dis- first of all, we need to establish his, undying uh, uh, soul bind to the scriptorium. So when it's destroyed, see, and I'm not even sure the destruction of the scriptorium is enough to warrant him destroying a piece, a, a relic of the legacy that he's trying to bring back. D- does anybody else feel that, that there needs to be a stronger impetus for that destruction? Yes, undoubtedly. It, it feels as it stands, as you say, that there's, there's an issue with agency. Uh, and it also feels as it stands a little bit like this this is the colossal will breaking MacGuffin because there needs to be a colossal will breaking MacGuffin. Yes. yes. <laughs> there's, I, like I said, Justin, honestly, please don't think I'm ragging on you because I know exactly how incredibly hard this is. But um, the thing which I find very, very interesting about this is the possibility that you can actually solve two problems simultaneously. You can solve the mild issue you have with defining just what your school of magic is and you can solve the fact that as it stands at the moment gregory's not especially likable and that's not necessarily a bad thing uh you know i i can think of hundreds of thousands of joe abercrombie readers who will go no i'm i'm cool with that (laughs) um for a start but you can simultaneously give him agency and at the same time enhance him as a character by having him placed in almost a Faustian situation wherein he's given the opportunity to do this incredible thing, which will cause damage, but will also prove he's the best at doing this incredible thing out of everyone who has ever lived or ever will live. And the world will change entirely because of him. And that means everyone will have to look at him and see how clever he is. And then they will all be sorry. (laughs) And that gives you an opportunity to, to, to go some really interesting places with him. Um, make his flaws assets. Can I really like yeah, yeah, I do too. I do too. Um, what if we shift the order order of events just a little bit? Uh, uh, right now, it's it's the scriptorium is destroyed, and Gregory destroys the the laws as a as a retribution. What if it's announced 
that the scriptorium is going to be destroyed and we are going to bring all of the mages of the high council and we're going to in, we're going to use what little magic we have and we are going to utterly obliterate this massive threat and gregory in order to unhinge their magic and save the scriptorium is caught between i either let the scriptorium die or i destroy the book of law and in destroying the book of law destroy their magic that will allow them to destroy it and now he has to make a choice and it's it's you know it has to be quick it has to be a moment of oh crap it's 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 legacy and if you if you give him that love of legacy and i think that's where you know i think al's point is well taken this he's he's not really a likable character but if you make him reverent make him love the past and his culture and his, you know, he's got, he's got these ancient, you know, busts from before they made the crossing into this realm that he's acquired at, 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 at great cost. You know, maybe Adira actually feeds him, you know, relics when she runs across them during her subversive bombings of, of whatever she's subversively bombing. Uh, and she finds these relics and, and knows that there's this reclusive weirdo who loves this stuff and actually might be able to throw some magic our way to help our culture. So they have this transaction going on. He's he's like this kooky uh, uh, curiosity shop dude. He's oh god, I had a, I had a vision of Elminster running a shop. Uh, uh, that's that's I have <laughs> sure that has nothing to do with you being on the Skype line, Ed. Um, I, I'm still stuck on the vision. I'll be late home tonight, dear. I'm going out subversively blooming. <laughs> 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 so yeah well you know and, and that's a pastime we all we all indulge in that from time to time um but but that that then by by making the destruction rather a wanton almost childish retribution making it a conscious choice between two things that he loves and he's in he, he has the power to save one or the other it's questions with chainsaws you know here you go spider-man save save your save your girl or save the the sky car full of kids what do you do and he makes the wrong choice, and that's beautiful. I, I think I think it's key that he should agonize over the choice he makes. Oh, yeah, Gregory okay, should, I can Gregory. see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. I, I don't. I, I think Gregory is a far less sympathetic character. Where it's like, oh, here's the moment when I get to impose my will on the world. Pow! I think it's much better if whatever choices Gregory makes, he is seen to wrestle with them. Yeah, and I, I would yeah, I would put that across the board for all three characters. If you don't want to play the high mage as, you know, a mustache twirling villain, um, it will work a lot better if he goes, I hate to do this. I, I don't want to stamp on, you know, the, the new inventiveness in magic because that's where our, the lifeblood of the renewal of our people has always come from. But this guy is going to ruin everything as opposed to, ha ha, here's my chance to slap another one down. You know, you, you see, if everybody wrestles, Adira is actually... In, in the outline you, you gave us, she's changing what she does in her relationships with Gregory throughout the book. If they're all wrestling with their choices and are seen to wrestle with the choices, I think it makes it a stronger story. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and as you were talking at it, an idea just occurred to me. Justin, what if Grimsel and Gregory know each other? What if, I mean, Grimsel is, is haunted by his past and the memories thereof. Uh, uh, but if we can also give him that same love of culture and heritage and <clears throat> legacy that Gregory has, then we get two characters that embody the two different choices that can be made regarding that. One, abandoning it, or two, 
submitting to it even at the price of your your current life and the current peace that you have i can totally see these guys sitting down and and talking about these ancient i can see gregory wanting to talk to Grimsel because he is the only guy from that time before they cross the veil he's a celebrity So almost a mentor character because I, I believe my story currently is missing mentor characters. Honestly. Well, what if what if Gregory studied under Grimsel oh, or yeah. and and it's like you have ruined you know I I I built you into everything and this is how you repay me or how could I have been so wrong did I teach you wrong because now you're ruining <sighs> everything I stood for. No, I'm not. I'm doing what has to be done. You just couldn't see it sort of thing you know that is a beautiful paternal father how dare you betray me at the same time it's also this obi-wan oh my god i've created darth vader moment (laughs) yes you know which 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 casts grimsel as obi-wan which makes him kind of a cool dude and and (laughs) continues to push gregory further and further into the antagonist role (laughs) i'm not the magic lawbreaker you're looking for (laughs) (laughs) they're all wonderful and terrible people (laughs) (laughs) Al, what are you thinking about all this, man? Honestly, I, I think all all the stuff with which we've come out with zeros in on on if, if nothing else, the way that you you absolutely fix Gregory, and you fix him in a way which means that you stay up, you also stay completely true to what you've already done with him. Gregory is not a scrappy underdog, but he thinks he is, mm. and the moment you do that, the moment you you enact something similar to the, the fascinating, a very complex and nuanced relationship that Dave and Ed have, have spitballed together, uh, you basically get to have your cake and, and eradicate it with the old magic at the same time, <laughs> where you can have him make these very interesting, very rash choices. But as Dave has already said, you have him do that, not from a position of screw you people, but from a position of this is how I can save what matters to me. And in doing so, prove it should matter to everybody else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and that uh, moment when he destroys the law, that's, Holy crap, that's Act 3, Scene 1 material right there. It's talking about invoking Shakespeare again. Uh, uh, that is a powerful climax moment when everything goes to shit. And, and suddenly, and, and his life, you know, he, he makes that choice. And, it's like, and, and I can see, you know, the whole Superman after he kills Zod. No! But I had to do it because the scriptorium is too vital. It's too important to our legacy. And affirm that power, that importance of the scriptorium from, you know, page one, I mean, not page one, but chapter one, where it is the center, the hope, the truth, the, the, the heart of elvish culture as it was uh, uh and and then then you can justify that god this is oh, this is good stuff and and yeah and when you when you show us that choice being made by gregory pull us in close mm. do not pull us back comic book style and say ha ha the universe hangs in the balance details at 11 no <laughs> you, you you want it right in close so we can share the choice with him yeah you want that sort of moment Oh, I'm going to pull another Doctor Who one. Fear me, Doctor, for I have killed Time Lords. Fear me, I've killed them all. You know, that that's <laughs> moment where you're, you know, you're right in there. And it, it, and I, I'm not necessarily, you don't have to be, have the flippant thing that the that, that Doctor Who was portrayed as doing that right there. But I mean, the point is, you can see people doing things, I have to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, it may not be the right thing, but I, you push me into this, I have to do this. And, and sometimes if we stop and, and the, the writer stops the universe and allows the reader to stand back 
and puts in bullet time and we all get to see the implications, it can be grand, but it doesn't feel as real as if it's the heat of the moment and you're right in there and somebody makes a decision that they might have made differently in another frame of mind. Yeah, exactly. But they do it anyway. So the, keep the, us close to invest it to the characters when they're making those choices. They can screw up. We all screw up. That's what it is to be human. Elven. Human. <laughs> the <laughs> thing, the living thing. Yeah, the living thing that all your readers will identify with. Because we the, all the, the, have things in There is a very, life. very late 20th century movie called Empire Records. Google it because the production history for it is fascinating. There is a cut of the thing somewhere that's four hours long, I believe, and features Tobey Maguire. You can see his shoulder for about two seconds in the DVD release. I'm okay with and, that. And <laughs> God, me too. And um, Empire Records is, is notable because it was it's basically the last hurrah of the, of the traditional 20th century teen movie. Group of kids who work at a record store. And it's the best and worst day of all their various lives. I mention it because one of the leading characters, the night manager, is, is a character called Lucas. And uh, Lucas, in the opening two minutes of the movie, finds sale deeds for the store, it's an indie store, to a music chain. Because this movie is now so old that chain physical music stores were still a threat to small indie music stores. <laughs> um and in, in one of those moments that is very much written on, on my soul, the camera crash zooms in on him and he looks straight out of it at you and goes, the time to hesitate is through. Lucas throws all the takings for the night into one of his one of the bags on his bike, rides out to Atlantic City, bets all of it, thinking he will get more money than uh, Music Town are offering them, buy the store for his friends and everyone will work out just fine. It is his hero moment. His hero moment is seven and a half minutes into the movie and finishes with him losing $50,000. <laughs> then the opening mm. credits start. Oh, jeez. <laughs> awesome. Gregory is Lucas. He's this kid who is absolutely convinced he's going to fire the shot that destroys the Death Star or, or, you know, save the store or save magic. And that isn't really where it goes. And as a result, he's this really, in, you have the really interesting opportunity for this huge seismic emotional growth as he goes, Oh God, you know what? I maybe didn't think that through. Oh, <laughs> oh damn. And this is really fun stuff. You can do that. Yeah, I agree. <coughs> I agree. Absolutely. God, there's great characters here. Um, I want to talk just a little bit about the magic system uh, uh, before before we wrap this up. Justin, um, the, blood magic is the only magic that exists, and death magic uh, is is the most potent of that type. Now, a that's badass because death magic also is kind of like history magic. It allows you to invoke. Uh, uh, the essence of things that have gone past. Uh, uh, I would love to see a scene happen in the tombs of all of those people that came over during the first crossing of the veil. You know, I'm sure there's some tomb somewhere where all of these people are laid to rest. And when when he does that magic bend where he creates the new magic, that's another huge freaking point, by the way. I would love to see it happen in there uh, uh, where the spirits of the ancient ones are drawn up into this new magic that's uh, that's both salvation and anathema uh, uh, to the current culture. But I'm curious, when, when you talk about blood magic, are they like literally opening a vein or slicing a hand in order to make the magic work? Uh, yes, because it, they have to be connected to the elves. And this is kind of where it gets a little bit darker. Um, they, they do need to 
uh, physically have the presence of blood or yeah, body yeah, yeah. for okay. the magic mm-hmm. to work. Okay. And, and that's a good thing because it builds in a limitation. <laughs> yes, good point. Now, yeah, you know, I mean, you, you can't go on with no blood or you, you, you can only sacrifice your life once. Um, yeah. so there's therefore, so many dead bodies lying around for you to draw their essence from. Well, that's the war, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Now, now, Ed, from your perspective as as a world builder and magic maker, um, is there is there anything about this magic system that you'd like to explore a little bit, or or uh, possibly caution Justin against? Um, three things. One, um, you need to show the reader right at the beginning life in the city aside from magic. What do they eat? What do they trade in? As in, what do they trade with their surroundings in? So that it doesn't become magic is everything, one note, one note, one note, it's all magic. You just have to show us life, okay? So that you have to show us um, magic as a part of the entire society, as opposed to it's all magic. And the second thing is uh, what I brought up at the beginning. Because we're going to see a change in how magic works, the laws rewritten. Um, show us the tinker toys, the, the ingredients, the, the bits and pieces on the workbench of somebody's, like show us a spell being cast mm. early in the book. Let us see how it works because then if you come up to a fight scene, we know how somebody could be stopped or thwarted by, you know, I don't know, whacking them in the mouth in the middle of their incantation or whatever it is. Yeah. We, we get to see what the limitations are. So again, it doesn't become the endlessly shooting laser of my spells, yeah. you know, um, and the price and the horror yeah, of the casting yeah. of those magics and, and the cost thereof. Yeah. And, and if everybody is limited by the laws to like all else have magic, but it's a small amount of magic, can you go further by deliberately cutting yourself? Um, Guy K in, in a long ago, brilliant fantasy novel called Tigana. Yes. I love that book. Uh, and, and there's a scene right near the end, oh, it, I'm, I have to do this a little spoiler here, where wizards cut their fingers. Mm-hmm. And if they're missing fingers, you can tell that somebody's a wizard. So in a time when being a wizard is a death sentence, you either work out a spell that gives you the illusion of the missing fingers, or you don't cut your fingers off, mm-hmm. which means you don't have the full power. And there's a moment in the book where somebody sees somebody falling and they want to save her and they literally say cut me they've kept their fingers up until then and they they shove their hand at the, at their friend who has a dagger in his belt and says cut me and hurry you know because she's going to fall to her death and <laughs> um is there like can the regular elves in the in the city can they say no, she's going to die now if I don't do this. Take me rather than her. Slash, off goes my arm. There. You know, can they transcend the limits? And you should show us if they can't. Right at the beginning. Like maybe somebody is, um, their loved one is dying and they are beside themselves and they would sacrifice themselves to save their loved one. But it doesn't matter. They can't. It, it won't bring her back sort of thing. Because then you realize the enormity of what happens when this guy rewrites the laws of magic yes. as opposed to, um, yeah, we all stop at stop signs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and, and, and we all, we all obey the speed limits. Gosh knows. 
And, oh, yeah, I, yeah, that guy who just tore past, well, you know, he's the town drunk. So we let him. We just ignore him. Or the guy who tore him past, he was a cop, so he's allowed to speed. Yeah. Uh-uh-uh-uh. It cheapens Cult- the whole thing. Culture is never that homogenous. Yeah. But if he can't speed, if the car won't go any faster, and you see, you cut into that moment scene of him jumping up and down on his driver's seat, grabbing the wheel, going, come on, come on, but it won't go any faster, <laughs> then we see what the, the, the big power and the stakes are when somebody can change things. Yeah. So you have to show us that these aren't just courtesy rules, that these are somehow rules and the cost of breaking them. Does somebody die horribly in front of us because all the blood in their veins turns to fire because they've broken the covenant? And they go, ah, in front of us like the, you know, <laughs> oh, my power and wickedness is gone. You know, <laughs> Dorothy, oh, my goodness. Which is, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> We want to avoid that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But show us the price, and therefore, they can't break the rules. You've given me some really great ideas with that. And if necessary, (laughs) show us the high mage saying, and every night, and every time one of you guys do this, look how much work it takes me to, you know, if I didn't do this, the whole city would fall apart. They would fall out of the sky or whatever. The buildings would fall over on us. Do you know how much magic we used to raise those? What do you think holds them up there? Oh, my God. You know, you know, how irresponsible. And every night when you young assholes run the stop signs, here I, you know, um, and therefore, it, you realize that this guy, he says, I could have been somebody. I could have built all these wonderful things. Instead, I spent every five minutes cleaning up after you guys because you're not housebroken. Holy crap. What I could have done with my life if I wasn't keeping the city from falling apart. And then this asshole rewrites the laws of magic. That's brilliant. Holy fuck. You know? Holy fuck. Exactly. God, and that's awesome because then you can see uh, Grimsel's sacrifice uh, uh, in the name of his people, and and again, as as long we've got, we man, we've really got to love Gregory. <laughs> you know? But you see, you can play the same thing with Gregory. Listen, old man, you've been keeping us all down. You've been strangling us. You've been starving us for air. Look at those people who could those those young women who could work magic, and you're not letting them. Yeah. Because you don't want us to go over twenty miles an hour. Because why? Because you don't like things that go over 20 miles an hour. If you could let us go over 20 miles an hour, we could be something in this world. We elves could do everything. But because you're a control freak and you happen to have chosen 20 miles an hour, our lives are being wasted just so you can stay in control. And, you know, now, and, it, and, and, and of now, course, the high mage does not see it that way. <laughs> no, of course not. See, see now, now I'm hearing footloose. <laughs> no, but, see, the thing is, nobody's wrong here. Yeah. I mean, they are, but they, from their point of view, they're all acting for the best motives. Yeah. Now, Adira is the swing character here. Mm-hmm. So you have to um, come up with why she does the things she does. And I hate to say it, in this day and age, for this audience, it can't be because she's a woman. So she swings this way and that way. Uh-uh. Uh-uh, no. Not politically acceptable. And uh, it would also be cheaper than the other characters and not authentic at all no not authentic yeah she has to do things for the right reasons and she has to change the way she feels for the right reasons not she none of the people in this book can seem capricious they can seem overloaded in the heat of the moment Mm -hmm. making the wrong decision because of the the pressures on them but they shouldn't be like 
Oh, I think we'll have the red wine tonight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, know. I think we'll destroy elvish magic now. Yes, yes. Yeah, it, it all, and, and it's like, who will I side with tonight? Will it be the high mage or will it be Gregory? Whom do I like better? Yeah. You know, you can't that one. Yeah. It's almost and, like I need to make every single one of them a main character and then yes. marry Yes, them. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Even yeah. POVs across the board. And, and yep. I, like I say, as this thing evolves, each of them is going to, I think, end up taking on the role of the antagonist. You, you got to put a choice in front of Adira that makes her betray Gregory. You got to put a choice, and we've already established that Giselle is ultimately going to betray them at the end. That, that, that Gregory betrays, and he starts off betraying uh, Grimsel. Yes, yes, yes. They are all absolutely full-on characters, and and the 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 dark the dark mantle shifts across the story arc. I remember Fabulous. what I said at the beginning about it makes it stand out from all the other fat fantasy novels on the shelf. Mm -hmm. This mm. will be something you're doing that's different, yeah. that will make your book distinctive. And if you get a lazy Hollywood producer, they'll go, how can I make that movie? Who's the hero? Who's the villain? You know, where's the subservient woman with her, with her arms around the ankles of the hero? I can't make that. But, but if you get somebody good from Hollywood, they'll go, oh, this is different. Yeah. I can run with this. This this is a story. Yes, a story and, worth telling. And I will echo what Dave said earlier. You got at least two books here. Because you do have to give time, word count, space on the pages for us to see people reasoning, for us to see them using magic. Because if you don't, it is plot driven. And it looks like a bad student Shakespeare production. <laughs> I'm saying these lines that Shakespeare gave me to say, I don't really understand them, sing song, sing song, but this is what I have to do to make the plot move along. As opposed to an actor who does the soliloquies, and the soliloquies are why we're there. Mm -hmm. These moments of soul searching, this, oh my goodness, it doesn't matter how long the rest of the play takes. Give it the space it needs. Nothing is more important than what we decide in the next three seconds, gentlemen. As opposed to racing along. Yeah. And the old, the old, old trick that orators used to do. Before you start, the audience is waiting for you. So if you lean forward at the lecture and you look slowly around at them, they're waiting for your next word. They will wait. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is go back and look at an old footage of Ronald Reagan giving a speech. And you go forward and you grab the lectern. And he put his head to one side and remember, he, man's a trained actor. Okay. Right. And he'd go, well, and then he'd wait. He'd go <laughs> One beat, two beat, three beat. They're all hanging on the edge of their seats, waiting for what's going to come back. Do that. Yeah. There's not no all powerful, the time. No more powerful. Yeah, moment. Not all the time because you'll drive your readers nuts. But whenever you need to stop the action and make them, hey, pay attention. This is a moment of soul searching. This matters to the story. Just stop. The reader will wait. Examine the changes. Yeah. Just, yeah. It's an awesome but, but, power. Use it only yeah. for good, Justin. Yeah. <laughs> Gentlemen, I, I'm, I'm looking at the clock and, and yes. while we could do this forever and God, I'd love to, uh, uh, I think there's some rule about podcasting 
episodes that are longer than two hours. Uh, so I'm, <laughs> I'm going to steer us into the the final uh, uh, stage of the podcast, which is the final words uh, uh, to Master Justin. We'll take once around the table one more time. Just some brief final words for Justin. Fill fill his pockets with literary gold and send him off so he can write this awesome, awesome story. Ed, we'll start with you, sir. Final words for Justin. Okay. Yeah. I would say it is critical in this wonderful story you've outlined with high stakes and with magic changing. You have to tell us what the, the life of the average elf is. I don't mean you have to say brush their teeth in the morning, how they go to the bathroom, all the rest of it. Um, what is life like for all the elves? What is the elven society like? Because then we understand what's being risked and we understand what could be better. Whereas if it's all about the magic and these three people, this triangle of three people, and the rest of it's like a backdrop, then it becomes, it's almost like saying, because we couldn't see the world that the sandbox was in, it pulled close to show us three kids squabbling in a sandbox. Mm. If we pull back and we can see the world and the stakes, then why they're squabbling becomes important. Yeah. Yes. Excellent advice. Excellent advice. Defining the context of the conflict. Very good. Al, what about you, sir? Final thoughts for Justin? One thing real quick, really. Uh, firstly, listen to these two guys. <laughs> Basically everything. Uh, and secondly, don't rush. Mm-hmm. And it's it, it's so tempting, I know. And it, it's especially true with genre fiction and with pop culture in general because I, I do this myself, I can tell, where <laughs> you are so used to being the guy in the room who has to justify what you're talking about and explain why you're enthusiastic about it, that you fold everything in. Don't do that. Your readers are there because they want to read the story you've written, and they know exactly what genre that story is going to sit in. Don't sprint. Give the book time to breathe. And... In many ways, it's a lot like podcasting, where I can always tell when I am talking at roughly the right speed when I do an episode of Pseudopod, because I'm annoying myself. <laughs> uh, the, 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 the back of my brain is going, why are you talking so slowly? Yes. Speed up. Take a breath. Take your time. And if you are irritated by how much detail you find yourself going into, then I can all but guarantee your readers won't be. All right. Mm-hmm. Good words. Kind words. Excellent. Very good. For myself, Justin, God, there's so much. Um, One is a question I didn't get to ask during the workshop, and I'm going to ask it rhetorically now, is why elves? And I ask that because so far there's nothing... Actually, let me rephrase. Uh, uh, it, there doesn't seem to be anything. This this could be a human story. This could very easily be a bunch of humans that have crossed over the veil and where we go. So I asked myself, why elves? And in the context of the themes that we've explored and the themes that you set out initially, uh, uh, it seems like there's the issue of longevity and and legacy and heritage because no one knows the histories better than the elves. And there is that inherent, you know, baggage that everybody that hears about elves talks about it when, when elves come up in a story is they do magic. It's what elves do. Uh, so 
as soon as you invoke a trope, and I use the word in not a negative sense, uh, of elves, you're inviting your readers to bring all of their baggage about elves into the story. So, so Ed's initial uh, uh, d- uh, advice to you of, of defining the culture and establishing it is doubly important. Because now you need to distinguish and a you know eradicate you know tell people leave that baggage at the door that ain't happening or yes this baggage that you brought with you I'm going to affirm in this way uh, but be aware that there will be baggage uh, and if you did choose elves make sure you have a really good reason why and make sure that reason is affirmed time and time again in the story if it's just a story that could be humans but it's actually elves. You've you've missed something at that point. Make it. There's no other race that could possibly tell this story than the elvish race. And that goes back to Ed's uh, admonition to talk about the, the, the basic life and culture of this city and these people. So fabulous. Now, Justin, here's the deal. Uh, uh, you go out and you write this story. And I don't care whether you put it up as a PDF on your website or you self-pub or trad pub. It doesn't matter. But put it out in the world so people are reading it and getting it in their brain and in their hearts. And when you do that, you come back, you let us know. And Justin, when you do that, we will knight you. We will make you a knight of the round table podcast you down with that sir that is just incredible i i will definitely be working on this night and day (laughs) fabulous we will hold you to that sir justin dude this has been epic and it wouldn't have been epic without a fine feast of a story to work on you brought a fabulous pitch and contributed beautifully to this discussion and i cannot thank you enough man i appreciate it yeah i want to buy this i want to read it (laughs) there you go seriously if you publish this in in gorgeous hardcover from a major new york house and i have to pay 45 50 bucks for it i'll be there (laughs) there you go justin (laughs) exactly exactly so thank you so much sir i appreciate it thank you ed dude this has been a dream come true on so many levels uh, for me and i guarantee you for many of our listeners uh and for al and for justin you brought so much wisdom and joy and love to this brainstorm uh it has been a true delight sir and i am deeply deeply grateful thank you my pleasure thank you for having me this is gold this is the sort of stuff i like to do you know i i don't like going on podcasts and saying well i thought of the realms when i was this old and blah, blah, blah. Uh, no, to get into stuff about doing storytelling and creation and the nitty-gritty and bolts of writing and, and how one frames a story, this is gold. So thank you. Oh, my pleasure, sir. My singular pleasure. And Alistair Stewart, dude, uh, uh, my brother from another mother from across uh, the sea, uh, uh, who at the time of this airing, we have already embraced and shared beer. Uh, uh, but at this time, we have not yet. Thank you so much, sir. This has been brilliant. And you have really pumped up the mojo on the discussion, as you always do. Thank you so much. It's an absolute pleasure, Dave, and an honor to be on the show as ever, because you're amazing. Ed's amazing. Justin's amazing. You know, there's the, the reason I love being here is that there's this tremendous positivity in, in writer's room table. And the thing which I find extraordinary about that is it, it's a show that at its heart fundamentally is that guy in Ghostbusters 2 going, everything you're doing is wrong. I want you to know this. <laughs> but the, the, the added advantage to that is the line, which isn't in the movie, which is, but it's okay. They can help. And that's what, 
you guys do. And it's, I, I mean, you, you know me. I will always scrub up. I will always be there to, to help out. And, and it's always an honor to be here. And there will always be a seat for you here, my friend. Awesome. Thank Very you, cool. And as long as we're doling out gratitude, dear friends, to you who clicked that play button, thank you. Uh, without you guys, we're just a bunch of people on a Skype line talking about story, which is fabulous, but we put it out on the potosphere for a reason. So you can catch fire with all the awesomeness that went on in that last hour and a half or so, whatever it was gold. As Ed said, I couldn't agree more. So thank you for tuning in. And if you're feeling that fire, if you're feeling that love, you know, blog about us, spread the word, give us a review on iTunes. And thank you as always to those who have spread the word, let people know about the awesomeness that is the round table and god i'm spent i am so lighting a cigarette right now uh, uh this has been like an orgy of of writerly goodness and the beauty of it is is that as spent as we all are like a phoenix from the ashes in just seven days this starts all over again another fabulous guest host pouring wisdom into our ears a bold and courageous guest writer setting the story table for our brainstorming feast more round table goodness to be had by all but oh damn, that's seven days. That's a long damn time. Al, what can our listeners do between now and seven days from now to 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 fill that time and feel productive and good about their writerly endeavors? Oh, that's easy. Take five minutes every single day. And at the top of the first five minutes, ask yourself a question. That question is, what writing project would I like to complete for the rest of this year? Set, set a timer on your phone when you do it and write down everything you can think of for those five minutes. When the five minutes is done, stop. Do that every single day. At the end of the week, you will have pages of notes, probably some doodles. I always doodle. <laughs> and you'll have a really good idea of whether the thing is viable. And if it is viable, start writing it. Holy crap. That's brilliant. That's awesome. Yes, absolutely. Sit down, friends. Work through those in, in a lightning round. Do not let your, your, your filters drop in place and, and, and censor your words. Find out what's there deep, deep, deep inside. And then, yes, absolutely. Go write it. Very cool. And I will tell you, dear friends, as I always do, you find what you're looking for. So, so, so look for that blue label top shelf goodness back in the back of the cupboard justin what, what's sitting in front of you right now apple pie moonshine yes sir oh uh, look for the apple pie moonshine in your life look for the lost package at the back of the christmas tree and i promise you dear friends if you look for it you will find it we will be back in just seven days until then you guys stay cool be frothy and be awesome and we'll talk to you soon bye-bye This episode of the Roundtable Podcast is copyright 2015 by Wonder Thing Studios and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means please don't sell it, but you can share it to your heart's content. You can even use portions of it in your own productions, as long as you release those productions under the same licensing terms and reference us as the source. Theme music for the Roundtable podcast was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown. Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation or just learn more about us, 
visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast and on Twitter at writerspodcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.